Okay. There we go. They're coming in. They're making it. There's still people, literally, from this angle, I see people frantically just pumping the coffee. Like, we just need coffee. I promise, if you, if you skip one sip of coffee, I'll tell an extra joke. Keep you riled up. Well, let's pray. We are going to get into the final uh, topical se- sermon from this series, uh, which I'm excited for because I really prefer preaching through books of the Bible. We're going to get to that next week. We're going to go through the book of Colossians. I'm very excited to go through uh, that book because it has been so influential in my life. But for today, we are going to talk about life, the sanctity of life. We're going to cover a broad spectrum of topics. And specifically, I want us to think about how we as fallen people who are broken by sin, who have sin that is fractured the way we think and feel, how we can press into God to become more faithful followers of him. So let's pray and we'll jump into the word. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you love us so deeply that you would send Jesus to die for each and every person in this room. God, I pray that your words would impact and influence our minds and our hearts today. Lord, help us learn how to focus on things that will build us up and how to avoid things that seek to destroy our lives, things that seek to distract our lives from loving you and loving others well. God, I thank you. I thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Be our dad today and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you guys ever wondered what it was like to be a baby in the womb? Uh, I, I always, I like thinking about, like, you put yourself in other people's shoes. Now, granted, they don't have shoes yet, but those little shoes they do make for newborns are really cute. Um, but, but I've always wondered what that must be like, because I've, I've seen the process unfold three times now, and, and I like jacuzzis, so, so do you see where my mind's going? Because when you're a baby, there's this thing that happens after the bottle of Cab and the, the sweet night with the in-sync background music, a baby is born, and the baby's in the womb. And the NSYNC is my generation. You can hate on me if you need to. It's, you, you do you, Barry Manilow. Okay, so, so the baby is born in the womb, and it's, it's a living being. It's got the DNA of a human. It's not going to come out a giraffe. It's not going to come out a, a different animal. It's a, it's a human being. And the, the cells start multiplying, and then you get your first sonogram, and it's, it looks like, a, like this dark cavern and there's a little Sour Patch Kid that's just hunched up on the side of this picture, and it's all gray, and then you get the next picture where the, you know, the baby does the thumbs up, you know? If, if you're my kid, actually, Jackson, no joke, had this thing where his middle finger was always up. And I've got pictures from, from like sonogram to, well, to today, he still does it. But he, it just pops up all the time. But I wonder what that felt like, because it's so comfortable. I don't know if you're anything like me. I love hanging out in a jacuzzi that's like not scalding hot, just a shade under that where you can sit in there for an extended period of time, your fingers prune up, and it's just comfortable. I love it when when that's going on and it's like a slight rain. And that's how I sort of envision the beginning phases of of what's going on in the womb. Like the baby's in this 98.6 degree hot tub. It doesn't have to think about food. Whenever it wants food or nutrients, they just come into it through the tube. This is, I'm a biology major, you could tell. But then all of a sudden one day as it's been growing, it gets cramped. And I understand what being cramped is like because I've driven in like Mini Cooper. So I know what that feels like, just cramped. And then, but it's still warm. And I feel like you always have that noisemaker built in. You know, we have those noisemakers in my daughter's room and there's the heartbeat one. Now they hear that all the time. There's this warm, cramped, noisemaking room 
And then one day everything changes. One day life decides that it's time for you to be born. And you get violently squeezed, shot out of your warm tank. Somebody's smacking you in the butt and sticking a sucker thing down your throat to take mucus out. And all that you see are bright lights and you've lived in this dark, warm, comfortable, yet cramped world. And then life begins. And I think that sometimes we we forget that every one of us started that way. Nobody here was this miraculous, like, cute stork baby that flew in and was dropped. You all came through this process, and you all are created in the image of God. Every single person God was knitting together in the womb. God was forming us. The Bible tells us that that God knows people when they're in the womb. God has plans for people when they're in the womb. And that's why we talk about the sanctity of life at churches. The last two weeks, they're not picked uh, accidentally. We, we follow up. We have Martin Luther King Day, so we follow up with grace and race. And then we have the anniversary, uh, if you want to call it that, of Roe versus Wade, and we follow up with sanctity of life. Because I want you as a church family, I want you as followers of Jesus to be thinking about the sanctity of life, not just in regards to abortion. Because if we're being honest, we all know, um, the, we all know Christians have a wide spectrum, right? Has anyone met a crazy Christian before? Crazy Christian, okay. So I got invited to go to this Gasparilla thing, um, which I'm new to. I'm, I've never been in a pirate culture before. Everyone dresses up like pirates. It's another excuse, I think, for, for people to have a Halloween. Uh, but but I, I didn't get to go because I was here. We had an Indian party last night, and I was Bollywood dancing right in this area. It was amazing. And uh, eating curry. So if it smells like curry, I apologize. That was totally my fault, and I'm not really sorry because it was delicious. Sidebar, this Gasparilla thing. I hop on because some of my friends are going, and I, I go look at some of the comments, and I see this guy, I'm gonna, let's just call him Gasparilla Gary. That's not really his name. His name was something angry. And, uh, and he says, going to Gasparilla today to preach the word of God. And what ensued from that one comment was approximately 472 comments from other people, mostly I would describe as not a fan of Gasparilla Gary. And... And Gasparilla Gary would interject verses about what God says, that certain people are going to hell, if you do this, you're going to hell, if you do that, you're going to hell, stop drinking, it's from hell, stop doing this, it's from hell. And it was all in King James English, which I'm sure all of the drunk pirates totally understand. And they're, they're just going off on this Gasparilla Gary guy. And, and at one point I felt bad because I was like, well, like, hey, this guy's angry. And, uh, and it had pictures of him at previous events, I think, with the megaphone. We've seen this guy, right? Megaphone. And he's got the, you know, if you kill your babies, you go to hell. If you're gay, you go to hell. Whatever. All these things, these signs on his profile. He only had 24 friends, which surprised me. I thought he'd have less. Um, <laughs> but all, all that to say is, is here's what I want to think about. Because we know if you're, if you're in a Christian circle, most followers of Jesus are pro-life in the, in the abortion sense because we believe babies' lives start in the womb. And since Roe v. Wade, approximately 60 million abortions have been had. And, if, and to put that in perspective, right now as we stand in the United States, there's only about 74 million children 17 and under. So it's like driving through our country and the majority of children not existing. That's how many babies have not been allowed to, to come to birth through the, the birth canal, that whole process we talked about. That's a lot. For the first time in history, we're, we're the lowest proportion of kids to adults than we've ever been in America in recorded history, 23%. So 
So our country is getting older. We're making less babies, which is why certain aspects of our economy are slowing down. We are pro-life people, though. And I want us to not just focus in so much on that because what, what I started to think about this week was that um, we miss the lives of human beings that are also outside of the womb. And for me, it happened when I was sitting at a coffee shop and I was across the table from a girl and she was weeping and crying. And the last thing that she could get out of her mouth before I started weeping and crying with her, through her sobs, she said, can Jesus still love me even though I had an abortion? Because the pro-life people valued the abortion topic as a social issue so much that they beat the life out of this young woman. And she thought, there's no way that Jesus could still love me because I had done this. Now that story is not a one, one and done. I've had that conversation with multiple women who don't know what to think or believe because they've gone through that thing that we call abortion, that we treat as a social issue, but I believe is a life issue. Not only that, life issues go um, beyond just the pro-life in the womb. I think they go to what we think and what we know. So with that note, let's read Revelation 21, 3 to 4. You can follow along. I think this is on the screen. If not, listen carefully, and then we're going to flip over to 2 Corinthians 10. This is what it says in the end of the Bible, the very end. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Anyone here ever mourned, been sad, cried? Okay. Anyone here been impacted by death? Usually if you've lived a little bit of time, somebody in your life has passed away. Anybody in here just sick and tired of the pain that seems to keep coming around in the cycle of life? Or am I the only one that does that? Yeah. Life is full of pain. Now, there's this thing in our world that we in Christianity called sin. And sometimes we think of sin as, I broke a rule, therefore God is really, really mad at me. And we forget that sin is so much deeper than that. It is that, but it's also more. Sin didn't just fracture the relationship between God and humans. Sin also went into the creation. Sin impacted everything around you that you see. Every biological structure that you know, sin has gone into. Sin is why thorns exist, according to De Genesis. I despise getting pricked by thorns. I despise trying to trim these uh, bushes you guys have here. They're everywhere palmetto bushes. Palmetto bushes are a product of sin. I am sure of it. They attract rodents, and they're violent, and they grow like weeds, and I don't like them. Side note, ended. But what we don't realize is that the things that we have in this life that, that are broken, we forget that these things are a product of sin and that these are going to be former things. They will one day pass away and be no more. The effects of sin will one day be done and away with. In Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about how creation is groaning, waiting for sin to be gone. Creation, like trees, rocks, fruit, sky, clouds. Like you think sunsets here are amazing now just because there's a little bit of smog and a nice gulf? Wait till there's no sin in all of creation. If you're like me and you love tropical fruit, I love pineapples, mangoes, papayas, any of that. You can drop on my door any day of the week, not thrown, set in a gift basket with a bag of coffee. Those, those fruits that, that I love are broken down by sin. They're going to taste better in the new heaven and new earth than they taste here. Our bodies, we get resurrection bodies. 
when I am with Jesus, I think I'm going to have like 12 abs and I'll be able to do more than a pull-up and a half. Like this is life goals here. Sin has broken so much of our world down that we, we can't even begin to fathom and see it. Sin is why people prefer death over life. Sin is why abortions happen. And it's not that somebody was so angry at that child. It's that, it's that the common, most common reasons for not having a child are that there are financial strains. That's the most common reason. The next one is that it's not the right timing. And then the one after that is that the, a partner has a different view on whether or not they should have a kid. Now, I, I promise you, I promise you that those people aren't saying, like, I'm really mad at this baby in me. It's just that they come to a situation and they've been taught a certain framework to believe so they make the decision based on the framework that they believe. Because the science said for a long period of time that that was just a blob of cells and not a human being. And now science is catching up and there's these trucks that go around and offer pregnant women free sonograms because it's been shown that once you see the little Sour Patch Kid, you fall in love with that little guy or girl. And, and I'll tell you, it is true. I couldn't, I couldn't tell any of my kids apart. If you put their little Sour Patch pictures in front of me, I would just guess. I'd say, that one looks tall, that's probably Jackson or Savannah. This guy looks angry, that's probably Silas. That's my only guy, I don't I have nothing. But, I, but when I saw them, I, overwhelming melting with love. Now sin, sin breaks that down, but what I want to jump to today is another issue that I think the church, we have to tackle, and that is the idea of, of mental health, mental illness. Anybody in here had a chronic mental illness before? I just want to sort of get a gauge. So I need a gauge for this. If you've had a chronic, something that's recurring that won't go away. Okay, just a handful of people. Um, so mental illnesses or, or any types of illnesses, um, I want us to know one thing. We are all broken by sin. Can we agree on that? Okay, we've all sinned. Okay, so I'm going to say this, and you might disagree with me. I believe that 100% of us are suffering from some form of a mental illness because sin has broken down every biological structure in creation. So you may not have one that is diagnosed by, by psychology today, but there are parts of our minds that are all broken. There are parts of our minds that aren't working quite right because that's true of everything in creation because sin has crept in. Now, I haven't had a lot of struggles in my life. I, I have been um, said, because I was born before the ADD um, movement was popular, but I've had a lot of people tell me, Ryan, you're probably ADD. And I say, you're probably right. What would you say? And my wife tells me all the time, we'll be watching a show. I can't watch a show and not read. And she hates it. Like, I have to be on my phone. I have to have a book or something. Because if I just watch a show, it's so boring, I just fall asleep. And, and she's like, well, why are you reading? Why, why can't you just watch a show and enjoy it with me? I, I can watch a show, but I'll enjoy a nap. I mean, that's how this plays out, because, because my mind is, is tweaked in that way. My mind is broken in that way. I'm very bad at paying attention. My kids have to grab my cheeks and turn my face to look at them so that I can speak to them. My wife does the same thing, too. All of us have that. And beyond that, beyond the ADD, I've, I've gone through um, what I would describe as like moderate to maybe mid-severe depression a few times in my life. And I don't mean like the kind where you wake up and you're kind of sad. I mean the kind where you open your eyes and you're not even sure how you're going to get your feet off of your bed because you don't know what's going on in your life. And you feel so lost. It's not like you don't have a compass or a map. It's like there's no earth and you don't want to do anything other than just lay there because there's nothing to do that makes sense. So, so that's sin breaking in. And I think there's this stigma that we have, and I, I actually know there's a stigma, 
that mental health is different from other health issues. And I think the church has to be the first place where we abolish that. Because I'll tell you what we're not doing. Uh, if one of you come to me and you say, well, you know, I've, I have got a heart problem, so I take this medication for my heart. I'm not stepping back and being like, whew, you're a dirty sinner, you're messed up. That'd be really rude, right? Or, or let's say somebody's been uh, depressed and they've been struggling for, with depression for years and years and years. I wouldn't just say like, oh, you know, uh, maybe you should just pray about it and, and be happy. Because you know what that sounds like to somebody who's in depression? Wah, 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 punch me in the face. That's all I hear. That's all I hear. If somebody's got liver problems and they take medicine, we're not getting all up in their face and saying, man, I can't believe you're taking medicine for liver issues. If someone's got failing kidneys, we don't razz them and look down on them and shame them for going to dialysis. But for some reason, as soon as somebody gets a mental illness, as soon as somebody comes out and they're, they're ADD, they're ADHD, they struggle with depression, they have a, a manic or a bipolar disorder, as soon as that hits, every stigma comes to the mind of people in our culture. And, and this place, the church, the family of God, has to be the first place where that does not happen. We have to see people as all broken by sin and Jesus on a restoration path to restore all things. Because when all things are restored, every effect of sin is removed. The pineapple tastes better, but not only that, we get our resurrection bodies. And I don't want to just make light about it. Our resurrection bodies mean everything functions perfectly. Our brain functions perfectly. Our eyes will see further than they've ever seen. Our taste buds will taste deeper than they've ever tasted. We'll be able to hear conversations from across rooms because I can do that already now, and these are sin-jacked ears. I'll be able to jump higher. I'll be living forever. And all of us will be in that boat who call Jesus our Lord and Savior, put our faith in him. There will be no more mental illness. You know what's really cool to think about? In heaven, there are no doctors. That's really weird. Like if you're a doctor today, you are going to be unemployed in heaven. You're welcome. Because there's nothing for you to do. If, if you're a lawyer here and you happen to still make it to heaven, you're not going to have a job in heaven. Because justice is complete. The judgment is done. You're going to go there and be like, I don't know what was right. I can't believe I made it. Ah. Doctors, same thing. My job, probably not in heaven. Because my job here is to say, look, there's Jesus. Look. And in heaven, I'll be like, I'll just wear a shirt this way. And I'll get arrows to the throne. That's all my job is going to be. Well, some of you will still have some cool jobs. Like those of you who build things with your hands, I think you're still going to get to build cool things in heaven. That's going to be so amazing. Those of you who cultivate things and grow things out of the ground that I eat, thank you. I think you're going to be able to do that in heaven. Those of you who, who like um, connecting people, I think you're going to be like people that throw mixers. I think we're going to have some insane mixers in heaven. It's going to be so wild. But uh, ironically, that's where all the doctors and lawyers are going to be because they have nothing to do. And the pastors, I'll be like, look, there's Jesus. There's no sick people. Where's justice now? Sin will be removed, including the sin of the sin's effect on mental illness. It's not a sin to have a mental illness. It's sin's effect that mental illnesses exist. And we need to stop being ashamed when they come into our life. Because most of us in here have been impacted by it. Some of us have kids that are ADD, ADHD. Some of us have spouses that, that they don't know they have a mental illness, but we know. And we want to let them know. Allegedly. And we shouldn't be ashamed. We should simply 
learn how to encourage each other, build each other up, and do what this next passage says. This is, comes from 2 Corinthians 10.3. It's talking about strongholds in the mind. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Everyone say strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Okay, I want us to stop here. What happens in our minds is very powerful. What we feed our minds with will impact the rest of our life. What we put in our minds will shape the way we think, will shape the way we perceive, and it has ramifications that go well beyond what we'll ever know or imagine. Because our kids see and know what we think and say, even when we're not paying attention. And we are constantly listening to everyone all around us all the time. The mind is a very powerful thing. And I think whether you have a mental illness issue, whether you, you struggle with depression, whatever you're going through, all of our minds are broken. And we have to get to this point where we know that everything around us is trying to pour into our minds. And I think sometimes we take it too passively and we don't really think, okay, what am I learning? What am I seeing right now? A side note, not really a side note. Did you know that the optic nerve, the retinas, they're the only nerve directly connected to your brain? And they send a massive amount of data to your brain constantly. Every time you have your eyes open, it's measuring depth and color, it's measuring speed, it's measuring light, and it's all taking it in, massive amounts of information right now as you're looking up here. But the brain, no matter how much information we're taking, our brain is sending more forward information to our eyes than our eyes are sending to the brain. Are you tracking? So that means that when you open your eyes, your brain is already setting up a frame of what it thinks you're seeing. This is why you can uh, have witnesses to something and they all say three different things. Has that ever happened to you before? It's happened to me. Every time I've been in a car accident, everyone does not see what I see and I was never at fault. But, but it's true. You can, you can ask two people, three people about an incident and they will give you different accounts of it because their brain is sending information that says, this is what I think happened. This is in the realm of possibilities. And then the eyes are meeting with what the brain says should be happening. This is why if you've ever been in a relationship, husbands and wives have different accounts of how arguments went down. Have you ever had that experience? It, and it goes something like this. Here's the short godly version. I did not say that. Yes, you did. I remember it clearly. And then I say, no, I did not. You've had brain surgery. And then I lose. Because I can, you can't say that. If your wife has brain surgery like mine has, you can't say that card. You lose couch is comfy, good night. <laughs> but, but we've had these conversations, and that's sin, by the way. I want to clarify. That's not funny. I've said that, and it's sinful, and it's so wrong. But, but it happens. It's happened to me at least, I would guess, 100 to 200 times, where I'll have that conversation with Amy, and I walk away thinking, one of us is right, and it's probably me and God. And then she's wrong, because that's what we do. We we make our position right and other positions must be wrong because our mind said it, our eyes saw it, it must be true. In that moment, what we're doing is that we are forgetting that we are all mentally ill because sin has broken our brains. Here's what the Bible says can happen to the mind. Deuteronomy 28.20, the mind can be confused. Job 17.3-4, the mind can be anxious and closed. Anxious minds, anybody here in America? No, we're not, not worried about mortgage payments ever. Uh, Ecclesiastes says the mind is evil and restless. 
Leviticus says the mind is rash and deluded. 2 Kings says the mind can become troubled. Uh, 1 Timothy 6 says the mind can be depraved and deprived of the truth. Romans 8 says a mind set on sin is hostile to God. 2 Corinthians 3 says a mind is hardened toward God. 2 Corinthians 4 says the mind is blinded by sin. 2 Timothy 3 says there that mind of man is corrupt. So next time you see somebody that has ADD or has autism or cerebral palsy or is going through depression or is manic or bipolar, next time you see somebody, remind yourself that my mind is equally as jacked up, just not yet as diagnosed. Because this is what the mind can be under the effects of sin. So what do we do? We take every thought captive to obey Christ. If you want to know um, one way to start refocusing your mind and getting your mind aimed at things, we have to know a few things. One, don't be afraid of doctors. I'm not one of those Christian people that says, never go to the doctor, just pray about it, it'll be okay. As a matter of fact, the, some of the angriest times I've had are when I go to hospitals and there's a chaplain or a pastor there saying ridiculous things. Like chaplains or pastors that have said, if you just have faith, then you'll be healed of your cancer. Your cancer will be gone if you just have faith. And I tell that person, usually in the hallway, if you come see this person again, I'm going to hurt you. And then I go back in there and tell them, yes, have faith. Yes, Jesus can heal you. Listen to your doctors. They went to school. Like, do your research, but listen to your doctors. Do, do your research and pray and have faith, but don't discount that God has gifted human beings to do incredible things to help us live longer and healthier lives. Because here, here's what can happen. It can be with something like that, with cancer or with some illness in the body. But sometimes when it comes to mind, we want to blame everything. And I, I say we, I mean crazy Christian people at times want to blame everything on just spiritual realities. And, and I'll tell you what, every one of us in here needs therapy because I've talked with you all. And I've looked at your Facebook page and I know your spouses and your children. And, and I'm not saying that because I think that I don't need therapy. I am the chief therapy needers in this room because we are all broken and it helps when you can speak outwardly and have other people that love you and care about you speak back into your lives. That's why we love small groups. That's why we love connecting people to go out to coffee and talk about Jesus and pray together because we can center our minds around something and open up conversations where we can say, this is where I feel broken and in need. And the people sitting across from us can say, I hear you. Let's start praying for that. Let's see where we can go to get help for that. And maybe it's beyond your expertise, and maybe that's where you go to a pastor or a counselor or a therapist or a psychologist or whatever it would be. What we have to stop doing is pretending that our minds are not held captive. What we have to stop doing is pretending that our minds are not broken. Because in that moment when we can say that we are broken people in need of help, we are disarming those things that are holding power over us. In the moment where we can say, yes, I know and understand that my brain is functioning this way because sin has warped DNA, sin has warped the way that I think, then we can finally get to the place where we can be honest with each other. And when someone says, you're being anxious or your mind is restless or rash or depraved, you could say it probably is, that's why I need to turn to others for help, starting with Jesus and working down the list from there. Our minds and hearts are broken by sin which is why I rarely trust mine. I, I rarely trust my first initial thoughts. If I'm in an argument with somebody, I step back and say, God, I need, I need to see like you see. I need to know what you know because there's a battle of perspective happening here. 
the battle of perspective is nowhere as pronounced as it is perhaps in Alzheimer's patients. Alzheimer's is probably, uh, it's at least in my top three list of things that I cannot wait to see abolished. Because I, I've spoken with people who have begun that process of, of slipping into where their memory is no more. And I don't know that I've seen deeper pain on the faces of the people who still remember than I, than I have in those situations with Alzheimer's. It, and it's, it's hard for the people that are losing their memory because they're confused and they're angry and everyone knows that it's the brain deteriorating and breaking. But it's hard when a son or a daughter goes to their mom or dad and mom and dad doesn't recognize them anymore. That's a different kind of pain than I've ever um, seen or experienced. And that will one day be no more. Now here's what we can do. Here's the opportunity we have while we're here today, knowing that our minds are broken. We have the opportunity to take every thought captive and to guard our hearts. Taking every thought captive means realizing that everything that comes into our life is influencing us. Every song that we hear is a sermon. Every show that we watch is a seminar, and it's speaking some truths into our heart, and they are going to encourage our minds to focus on God-word things, or they're going to detract and put our minds on not God-word things. And I, before you send me messages and give me specific shows, I don't have a list. Like, I, there's no database I have at home that says, well, if you're watching football, this team will lead to sin, and the Steelers lead to joy in Jesus. And if you watch Arrow, you're a sinner, but The Flash, you're in love with the Lord. I don't have that. That doesn't exist. Don't email me questions about that. Like, what can I watch? Most of us know. Like, we know that if we watch something or listen to something, that it's going to taint our mind and heart away from God. And every time we taint our mind or hearts away from God, we're opening the door to sin. That's how it works. You close your mind to God, the door to sin opens more. And sin brings death. Not sin that brings, like, I broke this rule, not that rule. I'm talking about the fact that it brings death, deterioration, and pain. It disintegrates life. Where life brings joy, death brings sadness. Where life brings hope, death brings despair. And every time we close off to God, it's one of those revolving doors. It opens the door to more sin and death and despair. And every time we close this, the principles of God teach us that that brings life, joy, peace, hope, and happiness. So what we have to begin to do is look at our lives and honestly say, where do I have doors open that are bringing in death? Where's the door open that's allowing uh, hopelessness to come in? Where's the door open in my life? What's taking joy from me rather than giving joy to me? And this is what it means to take every thought captive. We take every thought and we begin to take it captive so we can say, that one is stealing life from me. And we close that door and we look at, okay, if this was stealing life, what gives me life? And it's in that process that the spiritual component of our wellness will begin to reform and rebuild on God's principles. Now, nobody's going to say in the world that joy, love, hope, peace, that those are bad things. Everyone agrees. Like, we want more joy. We want more hope. There's nobody I've met that says, ah, I really hate just relaxing and being at peace and not having a worry in the world. Like, that's the end game goal, to be at peace and relax and not have a worry. And we wonder, why can we never get it? And I think it's because we're doing too much of this and we've closed this door, and we've opened this door. And if you need help figuring that out, I am more than willing to do that. Um, just let me know. Say, I, I need to see, Ryan. I'm going to tell you what I do, and you tell me what you see, and get in a small group. If you don't have a small group, get in a small group and say, this is what I'm going through. This is why I think I'm losing life. Tell me how to get life. And we've got some brilliant people that are leading our small groups that can help walk you through that process and get your eyes off of this and onto God's Word to hold every thought captive. Okay, last thing I want to touch on. Um, is that we have, we have this thing, this weird thing in our culture where we stop feeding our brains 
um, and we stop using our brains. And that's why I brought up Gasparilla Man. And this is more of a closing rant than anything. Because the Gasparilla Man, who had 472 comments last time I checked, um, he was valuing, in his mind, Jesus. He was doing, in his mind, what God was calling him to do. But I don't want us as a people to be in such a state where we turn off what I'll call Bible common sense. So Bible common sense is this. You open your Bible, you read a story, you see what Jesus did. If you're doing something that goes against that, Bible common sense says something is off kilter. I've closed that story and opened this door to death up. What, what I struggled with, for example, with this Gasparilla man was that all of the people that were railing on him were quote-unquote sinful people. At least that's how they were describing themselves and the memes would seem to justify that they were sinful people. What, what I struggle with is one of these simple Bible common sense things. When Jesus walked the earth, who followed him around? Anybody know? The, these sinners. People like me. People that love beer and wine. People that have road rage issues. People that were tax collectors. These are the people following him around. Do you know the people who were mad at Jesus? The religious people. The pastors. Also, people like me. The pastors the teachers, the guys who did the self-help seminars, the guys who ran the big crusades, those were the ones mad at Jesus. So my question that I didn't ask, and I'm so tempted to, but then I'm not, because it's like an endless cycle of angry keyboard warrioring, was this question. Hey man, if, if when Jesus did what he did, if he was followed by sinful people, don't you think that something's wrong when what you're saying is pushing away sinful people, that everyone that you're talking to and that you're trying to reach wants nothing to do with you. And I've seen these people before. I don't know if he's exactly like them, but they've got their signs. They're wearing them. They've got megaphones that are annoying everyone. They have flyers that nobody takes. And they kind of stuff them in your hands. And at the end of the event, there's like 3,000 tracks in a 15-foot radius because people grab them, crumple them, throw them. And I never see Jesus doing that. I see Jesus reaching into the lives of broken people, saying, I bring hope and restoration. I see Jesus not picketing outside of an abortion clinic, but reaching down to hold the, one of the three million women who have post-traumatic stress and issues after their abortion. I don't see Jesus throwing rocks in abortion clinic windows. I see him going in and praying with them and showing people what the meaning of life is all about. I don't see Jesus outside of Gasparilla with a sign on his chest, spouting out Bible verses with hatred in their mouth. I see Jesus as someone, according to the Bible, the Bible that I see, who says, you want to throw the stone? Do it if you've got no sin in your life. That was his line. I know that there's issues on abortion and capital punishment. There's Christians that are for capital punishment and against abortion. I just don't know how we get to those with the themes of the Bible. I'm a pro-life person. I want babies to live. I want mothers who have had abortions to be loved. I want people with mental illnesses to be embraced and not shamed. If somebody commits a heinous crime that in our government is worthy of capital punishment, that's what our government has to say and do about it. But I can't get away from that story where capital punishment came down on the woman and Jesus didn't let it go through. Jesus didn't say, well, the government says to do this. Our law says to do this. Go for it. He said, throw the first stone. The guy 
that could have thrown the stone is the one who got everyone to put their stones down. The guy who rightfully has that woman's life in his hand because he created it, just like he created yours, he could have said, life ended, you broke my law. Because it was his law. It's his words. And she broke it. But instead, when capital punishment was coming to her, he doodled, said, cast your stones. And he dropped the mic and walked away. Go and sin no more. I think some of us today, as we think about sanctity of life, need to find areas in our life where we're not being consistent with what the Bible teaches. And a lot of that consistency we're going to discover is this. We've closed off something God said, and we've opened a door to a political issue. We've opened a door to some cultural hot topic. We've opened a door and said, this opinion is going to have more sway over what, what I do and think than God's opinion. That's why we have to take every thought captive, close those doors, open up this door, and begin taking this into our life and saying, God, you're God and I'm not. Show me where I'm wrong and you're right so that I can follow you in a way that brings lasting joy and peace and patience. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for the fact that one day sin will be no more. I thank you that one day I'll no longer get in arguments with people. I thank you that one day I'll be able to pay attention for long periods of time. God, I thank you that one day things like autism, things like depression, things like manic uh, disorders, bipolar disorders, Alzheimer's, I thank you that one day those will not exist because I, I hate standing by bedsides, seeing sin ravage lives and not being able to do anything about it. But I look forward to that moment. And I pray, God, that for people in here that are struggling with depression, for people in here that have, have been harboring or hiding a mental illness, that they could come forward here and be loved in this place. That the sanctity of life would stretch for this church family from the moment of conception to the moment people breathe their last breath and that we would radically love, radically embrace, and radically point all people to Jesus all of the time in that spectrum. God, thanks for being my dad. Thanks for caring for me. I love you. I'll talk to you later. Amen.